All right, so we're going to do this deeper study again tonight and look at uh, some of the things that we've been studying in Matthew. But next week, uh, we are starting a brand new Bible study series. And I'm going to talk more about it on Sunday to promote it, try to get a few more people to come along. But we're going to do a series uh, that's based on identity. And identity is a big, it's a big um, concept in our world today. People talking about their personal identity and identity really carries into all kinds of aspects of their life. And we're going to see what the Bible says about that and uh, really forming a Christ-centered identity. So I'm looking forward to it. It'll be about eight weeks, and that's going to start next week, an eight-week series that starts next week. I'd say to those of you that are like college, our college students, etc., it would be a pretty good series to invite a friend to. It's going to deal a lot with modern ideas about what identity is. It's not going to be highly controversial. We're not really going to get into sexual identity or things like that, although it would lend itself to good conversations. But it's going to be really uh, biblically centered, gospel centered on what it means to follow Christ and who we are in Christ. So uh, it'd be a good one to invite someone to. It's going to start next Wednesday night. So, well, I imagine all of you will probably be here. So come back and then let's pray that we get a few more and the Lord uses it. All right. Matthew chapter number eight and nine is what we looked at on Sunday. And we're talking about, we talked a lot about kingdom power. That was the theme. And that's been the theme of this section of Matthew. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Look at, notice the discussion questions there. Some of this will be a little bit of a review. And then I want to show you some new material from this passage this evening. So if you recall, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount are really dealing with the teachings of Jesus. But then when we get into chapter 8 and 9, it's this like rapid fire succession of miracles and, and interactions with people that just build on each other. And you don't really even get a break here. It's just condensed story after story after story after story, account after account after account. And so the word that came up a few times, uh, and in fact, you could see it in, if you want to look at chapter 9, uh, Matthew chapter 9, and look at verse number 8, Matthew 9, verse number 8, but when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And so we've been talking about, we talked about this word power, and so power is referring to rule or authority. It's not like the, the, we're not talking about the power to do something. We're talking about the power that is the right or authority and really like a reign, a ruling and a reigning. And so there's this amazement at Jesus' power. So you tell me, let's review a little bit. In chapters 8 and 9, the first question, give me some examples. How, in what ways was Jesus' authority demonstrated throughout the events that we kind of just quickly surveyed on Sunday? How was, in what ways did Jesus show his power in these events. Anybody at all to get us started? Yes. Okay, so there's the healing of the paralytic. So, yes. Okay, well, yeah, not in this, we didn't, he calmed the storm, exactly. What else? Yes. Yes, casting out demons. What else? Yeah, rebuking the Pharisees. So let's think about everything that's been said so far. Over what realms 
is Jesus demonstrating his power then? And I'll think about all the things that have been mentioned. They're actually kind of different realms. So over what realms is his authority being established? All of them. That's the easy answer right there. <laughs> it's true, though. It's definitely true. So, so what, what realms are there? Well, the ones in the... No, I want to know, like, specifically, what realms was he... That's does he demonstrate? Name. Yeah. The nature. Nature. Absolutely. So the realm of nature. What else? <laughs> the physical realm. The, so uh, the... What did you say? The spiritual realm. The spiritual realm. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Not humanity. Yeah, well, yeah, humanity. But, like, sickness, right? So like the, the realm of, 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 of mortality, because he does that both in healing and in, and in raising uh, from the dead. So there's the realm of nature, the physical realm of the human body, there's the realm of the spirits, one other realm that was mentioned that, well, the religious realm, right, with the Pharisees, so he shows that he has power over over their supposed religious authority. So he's demonstrating, now in most of these, what I think is interesting about this, in most of these, in most of those realms, with maybe the exception of the religious one, but all of the others, how much power and authority do we have over those realms? None. So Jesus goes to, where, to the realms where we are powerless, and he demonstrates that he has ultimate power and authority. Now, so the follow-up question. The follow-up question is this. What was the ultimate purpose of Jesus demonstrating this authority? What is the ultimate purpose of this? Yeah. I think I remember forgiveness. Yeah. It's to demonstrate that he then would have the power to forgive us of our sins. So Jesus didn't come... Uh, Jesus... Jesus didn't come primarily to do miracles, right? The miracles, the miracles serve to establish his authority, to prove his authority. So the miracles are there to show us, yes, that he has authority, so that then we can trust him with the ultimate thing that he came to do, which is to forgive us of our sins. Which is why the main passage that we were looking at, and we'll look at it again now, is... Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 1 down through verse number 7, or 8, down through verse number 8. So remember, the, the, the Son of Man, Jesus said, He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give His life a ransom for many. He says He came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? This is the purpose for Jesus' coming. The purpose wasn't, the miracles do not serve a purpose in and of themselves, and so I think it's also important for us to realize that. We spoke a little bit about that on Sunday. Jesus also said, at one point, the Pharisees said, well, if you're, really, if you're really the Son of God, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you show us a sign? Show us a sign. And what did Jesus say to them? Do you, do you, does anybody remember that account? Huh? Yeah, he's like, well, yeah, I have been showing you signs. What else did he say to, him, say to them? It's a wicked generation. Well, yeah, he said, you're, you're wicked. You're a wicked generation because you're seeking after a sign. And there's not going to be any sign given to you except the sign of Jonah the prophet. 
As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, so will the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the belly uh, of the whale, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days. So we should be cautious of seeking after signs and wonders. And I always, I always try to mention that because there are segments of Christianity and segments of biblical Christianity that are overly drawn, I believe, overly drawn to the supernatural manifestations. Okay? Now, a couple reasons why that can be out of balance. Again, do we believe that God can still do miracles today? I'm not somebody that says that miracles are gone. We don't believe that if God is still, he still heals. He still does things that are that are beyond our imagination. So we're, we're not saying that there's no miraculous, but what we're saying is it's dangerous to base your faith on seeking after the miraculous because that's not the purpose of the miracles. That was never the purpose of the miracles. In fact, we know that in the last days, the Antichrist will perform miracles. So the, the fact that a miracle is be, has been performed in and of itself is not what is significant. What is significant is, are we being pointed to Christ? So anyway, that's not really the main purpose of this talk tonight, but I wanted to just reinforce that once again. Now, if you look here, in the middle of all of this demonstration of authority, Jesus shows his authority to forgive sins. And so pick it up with me back now in Matthew 9. So right in the middle of all of these, these powerful demonstrations, we see that he enters a ship, and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. So as we said, they're looking for a miracle, and Jesus does the greatest miracle by forgiving their sins, his sins. And, certain, and behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. Now, I want you to go over now with me to, and we're on the back of the handout now, and I, I want to talk about the authority of the Son of Man. So right there where they say, this man blasphemeth, I'd like you to go to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 2, and I'd like you to see in the account in Mark chapter 2 and how it's similar but points out some other things. So in Mark chapter 2, and in verse number 3, they come unto him. So Mark 2 and verse number 3. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. When they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But... There were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man speak blasphemies? And then they, now this is what we have in Mark's gospel that Matthew doesn't record. This is their rationale. Because who can forgive sins but God only? So they understand there's something going on here pretty significant. When Jesus, when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, they understand that Jesus is making a statement that really only belongs to God. Now look at verse 10. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth 
to forgive sins. He saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Now you can stay there or you can go to Matthew. It doesn't really matter right now. What is that? Back in the, in the account, I want to show you something. How does Jesus, what title, what is the title that Jesus refers to himself as? What's the title here that Jesus uses to refer to himself? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now, generally speaking, we think of the different titles of Jesus, and if you to take notes, you could think sometimes you'll see him referred to as the Son of David. Son of David would think of, would um, equate Jesus with his kingship, right? Because he's in the Davidic line. So you see Son of David, it's messianic, it's royal. Or Jesus is referred to as the Son of God, which is obviously a reference to his divinity, that he is, that he is of the same nature as the Father. And so Son of Man is often considered to point to Jesus' humanity, right? That he is, a, he is a son of man. Now, does it point to his humanity? Yes, it absolutely does. But the statement, the, the title, the son of man, is, is not only pointing to the humanity of Jesus. Does anybody know what else it is pointing to? That, that title is son of man, what else it signifies about Jesus? Um, well, that would be like his humanity, like, like that he was, so, but, so that's the one side of it. But there's another aspect that most people, I find, are not necessarily aware of. Humility. That would still, the humility would still, you're right, but that would be tied up in the fact that he's human. So, I'll give it to you. Is it like the first form of No, no, that's a good guess, though. <laughs> it, is, it is, the Son of Man is a prophetic title. It's a prophetic title. In the Messianic prophecies, they were looking for the one who was known as, especially in Daniel's prophecies, and sometimes in, I, I believe also in um, uh, Ezekiel, the one who was prophesied coming known as the Son of Man. Now, Daniel's prophecies are very, very significant to the first century Jews. Daniel's prophecies are very significant to the first century Jews because these are some of the last prophecies that were given when they were in captivity. Their nation, they still don't have their nation. Daniel is telling them about the, about this, um, about this, coming son of man. So we'll turn there in just a minute. So what he says, what Jesus says in this passage is, I want you to know that the son of man has power to forgive sins. He's saying, I want you to understand something about who I am, but who the, really the Messiah is, that may be a little bit more than you were anticipating. And that is that I have the power the Son of Man, the prophesied Son of Man, has the power to forgive sins. So now, let's look at the second thing. 
And that is this. So Jesus establishes, first of all, the authority of the Son of Man. But now I want you to go to Daniel's prophecy. I want you to see Daniel's prophecy regarding the Son of Man. Now, as you turn there, Daniel chapter 7, I want you to understand that these passages are relatively obscure to us. Okay? Like we don't, like most 21st century Christians, if I was like, oh, where's the, where's the prophecy, where's Daniel's prophecy about the Son of Man? You'd have to like, you know, Google it. Or you'd be like, oh, that's a thing? I didn't know. I mean, no offense, but I'm assuming most of us, we'd have to, we'd have to look it up. It's, it's, so it's relatively obscure to us. So what that does is it negatively impacts our understanding. Because the Jews of the first century when Jesus is there, the, these passages are not obscure to them. They're extremely familiar to them. So I'll make a reference to like the Son of Man being a prophetic title. And we're like, oh, well, what does that mean? Let's go to, let's find this, you know, passage. Oh, that's interesting, that nugget that's tucked away in the deep, dark places of the Old Testament. But, but the scribes, they knew these. They were just, they, they, these were the common verses that they would have had memorized and known. So when Jesus starts referring to himself as the Son of Man, that, that would raise up some questions like, is this man claiming to be the Messiah right now? And is he saying that the Messiah is divine? Well, so let's look at the passage. Daniel chapter number 7. Okay. Daniel 7, let's pick it up in verse number 9. Daniel sees this vision and he says, And I beheld till the thrones were cast down. And the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. I do not know what the wheels are. Nobody really does. It's fascinating, though. And so, the Ancient of Days is a reference, we, we believe here, to the Father. And this is obviously the throne of God. Verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Now, you tell me, what, if you study the Bible, what is this? Where else is this scene depicted? Revelation, chapter number 4. Very similar scene is depicted about the throne room of heaven. Verse 11. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, and the horn is, ref we, we don't have time to talk about the horn, but I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. Now, this is coming up to the climactic point. The beasts are world powers, world rulers. The beasts would be the Antichrist. These, this is a prophecy of the very end, the very end of days, where 
they're finally defeated. These, these people who had dominion and power, we're talking about authority, power, they have, the, 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 the demonic host has dominion over the earth even today. There's power and dominion and authority that they exercise, and this is pointing to the day where they will know more. Now, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. All right. Put yourself back in time to one of the people in the days of Jesus. You've just, you're just being exposed to Jesus, his teachings and his miracles. You're trying to figure everything out. All you know up until now is Daniel chapter 7. You know this. You learned about this in synagogue. That there's one coming called the Son of Man. And there's going to be a kingdom. What from this passage, because remember, they don't have the end. They don't have the book of Revelation to compare it to. They don't have, they, all they have is this. So put yourself in their mindset. What do you know? If you are that person and this passage is what you have, what do you know about the future? Let's talk about what you know first, and then let's talk about what you don't know. So what do you know from this prophecy? So you know that there's a great, magnificent king coming. That you know. What else do you know? Huh? He's going to have all power. He's going to be an all-powerful king. So there's never been an all-powerful king before. What else do you know? You can go ahead and look at it and pull some things out of it. Like, look at the, look at the verses. If you were to, if you're there, what would you know? That there was a great spiritual conflict taking place. Yeah, you'd know that. What else would you know? This title is Son of Man. You've got the title, right? The title of this person is the, the Son of Man. What else? He's been in a kingdom that's going to be forever, so. There's a forever kingdom coming. The last kingdom. So this is like, yeah, this is <laughs> pretty significant. Like, it's really significant because there will be no other kingdoms after this. And if you're Jewish, you'd see that there's going to be Gentiles involved in this kingdom too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That other, other nations and people will come into this. What else do you know? What else? That's probably all of it. Now, what's a little hazy? What would be a little uncertain? When? When? 
Okay, that's a big one. <laughs> the when is huge. Who? Who is it? When will it be? What else is kind of hazy? How? Sure. Let's go back to the who. What is hazy or unclear about the who? What would be kind of a head scratcher about the who? Sorry, couldn't hear. Who the beasts are? Yeah, that's true. But we're but let's talk, let's go back to the king. Let's go back to the king. Like there's some stuff in here that would if you're if this is all you've got, this is kind of like a little perplexing, or it should be perplexing. The question they have to ask themselves is who is the ancient of days and who is the sun coming to present themselves to the ancient of days? That this is true. Now, who do you think they would have all? pretty much assume the Ancient of Days is. Well, I, I don't, they're probably not confused about that. They probably understand the Ancient of Days is God, as they would understand God. So what's, so what, what would be a little unclear about the Son of Man? Well, does this passage teach, does this, would you, would you deduce from this passage that the Son of Man is God? Would you deduce that from this passage? Some of you are looking at me like, oh. Would you look at this passage and come away and be like, and you're more confident now. You'd be like, what? He's a dude, you would say. Okay. He's a Son of Man. So you would make the assumption he is a what? He's a human being. Why do you think they're surprised? Like, we got to give them a little bit more credit when Jesus starts making all these questions of his divinity. Like, this passage here about the Son of Man, he is a Son of Man. Like, they would expect a human. However, is that really what you would expect when you look at it? Because there's, it doesn't really seem, like, does he seem like other humans that you know? Yeah, Frank. I think uh, I think that's unknown. There's a big question there. Uh, is he is a God? Is it a human? Is it a human? Is it a regular person? It really doesn't state that. See, this is the this is the conflict of this is the turmoil that all of these these Jews had to wrestle with in the identity of Jesus. And this is still the question that people who study who Jesus is and compare to the Old Testament that they come face to face with. Because some parts of this prophecy, definitely, I mean, the title is the Son of Man. And now Jesus says, well, the Son of Man can forgive sins. And they're like, wait a minute, only God can forgive sins. And I didn't really think the Son of Man was gonna be God because he comes before God as the Ancient of Days. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say, they could've thought of him as like an angel. They could've thought of him as some kind of angelic being. Except the problem with that is he's referred to as the what? <laughs> this, well, yeah, right? Says, my, I'm reading in ESV, and it says that, and it said, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
Yes. So like an angel. That looked like a man. Yeah. Yeah, it, it says one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. He's also coming with clouds. What are clouds almost always associated with in the Bible? The glory of God. Almost the Old Testament. It's pretty well established that the coming in the clouds and the, the, the clouds are always symbolic of the glory of God. Why else would this be kind of difficult for this to be a guy? Or as you said, a dude. Why would that be? Why would that be? What other difficulties do we have here with this just being a regular, a regular old son of man? And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom. So it's like he's getting all this. It's also like in, at the bottom it says, "In his kingdom shall not be destroyed." Yeah. So it's kind of how could a human being? How could a human being have an eternal kingdom? Right? Like, how could, a, how could a regular, ordinary son of man be, like, fit the entire bill? And this is what you'd find, you'll find all throughout all of the Old Testament prophecies, is there are aspects of the prophecy that are like, yeah, this is a human being. But then there are other aspects of the prophecy that it would be very difficult for an ordinary human being to fulfill. We can say... Was difficult for Daniel. The next verse, chapter 15. The verse said, 15, yeah. <laughs> so I was grieved in my spirit. I need somebody to explain this to me. Yeah. Um. And what's interesting. Yeah, I was just looking at it really quick. Yeah, and, and it never, in, in, da in Daniel's question there, he never reveals who the Son of Man exactly is. He talks about the kings and the beasts and what the kingdom will be like, but he never clearly explains what the identity of the Son of Man is. Now, after the explanation, here's Daniel's response. Yeah, verse 28. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. And my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. So, yeah, he doesn't understand it all either. So, it's important to understand that, that the Old Testament prophecies, so as I said just a minute ago, are very commonly setting us up with these expectations of what Messiah will be like. And on the one hand, on the one hand, it's like, yes, this is a human being. On the other hand, this is not an ordinary human being. And so these questions are important theological questions, and, see, and wrestling with this is important because there are, still, there are still sects that claim to be Christian, that are not Christian, that do not accept the deity of Jesus. And it was a struggle for people in the Jewish times to accept the deity of Jesus. And so it's important for us to see how it, because... You've got to understand, you do have to understand that the Old Testament passages were not crystal clear, but there's a tension there, and it is, it is the humanity and divinity of Jesus in one person that solves the problem. It answers the mystery, it answers the mystery that is left there in the prophecies. Right, I came a... Um, I came across a, uh, just came up on my Facebook feed, was uh, some 
Jewish rabbi teaching, and his issue with Jesus and Christianity was simply that the Old Testament never predicted that the Messiah would be God. And that was his, his hang-up, which is obviously the hang-up that these people had. So that's why Jesus takes time to poke and prod the Pharisees and say, I am going to do this power. I'm going to, I'm going to give power that you have never seen a human being have so that you understand that the Son of Man has the power that only belongs to God to forgive sins. And so when you look at a passage like Matthew and you see this display of his power, that's, that's what's happening. He's, he's, he's filling in the de- He uses that title to bring them back to the prophecies and to fill in the details that they were missing. Okay? Now I'll give you one more passage and we'll be done. But does anybody have any questions, comments, feedback? Start with Teresa. Right. Yeah, that, that's a whole other set of a whole other set of prophecies that also do the very same thing, which is they show a human side, but then a side that is something more than human. Yeah. And it was a prophesy, I don't know the scripture, it was a prophesy too about him on the cross and his legs broken. Yeah, there's a there's there's a whole there's a whole list of prophecies that were fulfilled in the birth of Christ and the death of Christ. Yeah. Anybody else? Question, comment? I, more than a question, I guess. Would this refer to, like, the second Adam coming? Would this refer to that? Yeah, it would be that. That's exactly it. So Jesus had to be a son of man because he's the second Adam. But then he has to be the son of God to actually be able to forgive our sins. So, yeah, exactly right. It ties in with that. Okay? Anybody else? All right, let's just finish by reading this passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul describes this scene as well. And it's pretty cool. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28. Paul says, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. So it's really interesting. The scene that we have is the Father gives all the kingdom and the power to glory, and then Jesus presents that kingdom to his Father. For when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. In other words, that he's above all things. But then all of those things that he is above, when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And what you have there is a very mysterious peek at the triune nature of God, that Jesus was sent from the Father on a mission to save, but now he's going to be sent again on a mission to, 
he's going to finish the mission. And all of the power and all of the authority in this world is going to be placed into his control. That's what the, the Bible speaks about this in the, the final seven years, in the Battle of Armageddon and all that leads up to that. That will be the final, the final exercise of Jesus' authority where now all of the kingdoms are placed unto him. And I see it almost as a gift that he then brings back to his father. I've accomplished the work that you've sent me to do. Here is the kingdom. And God is then all in all. In the new heaven, in the new earth, in a perfect rule, in a perfect reign. And you have here what's known as the willing subordination of the son. So the son is equal with the father in nature, but willingly submits to the father in that relationship of father, son, and spirit. And that's a mystery. And that's the mystery that, that the early Jews stumbled over. That's the mystery that some people still stumble over when they cannot, they cannot get their minds around this idea of Jesus being both submitted to the father, but also equal with the father, one with the father, as, as has been said for millennia, Jesus is God and very God, and Jesus is man and very man. And that's our Savior. That's the kingdom and the power and the glory. So, so I know we went kind of heavy on this tonight, but hopefully, that's, uh, um, hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully it was beneficial to you. And... Uh, it strengthens and solidifies your faith to know that who Jesus is revealed in the New Testament fits with who he was predicted to be in the Old Testament. The New Testament is the fulfillment, it's the completion of the picture that we were given in the Old Testament. All right, that's all I've got. Anybody else, any last things to say or wrap up or do we finish with a choo-choo train? Yeah. Yeah, you could, there's, there's, um, you could, you could do, you know, you could look it up on Google and find a Bible study that'll give you, you know, all Old Testament prophecies and their fulfillment in Christ in the New Testament. Yep. You put it on a chart and see it all. It's, it's, it's really good. It, it also talks about the Old Testament being a shadow and Christ being the fullness. So Christ is the body, the Old Testament is a shadow. And I do find that a lot of people that, that get off into troublesome doctrines do not know their Old Testament very well. Like the, the Old Testament can be somewhat neglected in our churches today. Um, and it's important to have a good understanding of the Old Testament so that you don't go off bounds with your New Testament interpretations. So, have you taken Old Testament survey yet? I have taken the prophets. Ah, good, good, good. All right, well, let's, uh, anything else or we'll wrap up tonight? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time that we've had uh, this evening. And I pray that you would just help us to strengthen our faith and strengthen us in our knowledge of you and your word. I pray that we'd be enriched by the, by the knowledge. But that, Lord, help it not to just be academic knowledge, but help it to cause us to love you more and to cause us to, 
want to serve others more and proclaim your glory to others and to live, Lord, knowing that you have a future kingdom coming and that we are to be preparing for it. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.